Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. In the words of Eric Ten Hag, Sir Bobby Charlton was a giant of Manchester United, and I'm not even sure that did him justice. He served the football club for nearly 60 years as a player, a director, and an ambassador. He is a symbol of Manchester United. His grace, his talent, and his courage transcended sport, leading the football club from the disaster of the Munich air crash to the glory of the European Cup, winning a World Cup for England and a Ballon d'Or and countless club honours along the way as well. He made 758 appearances for United, scoring 249 goals. He won 106 caps for England, scoring 49 goals. He was the benchmark for United and England players, an inspiration, a great player, and an even greater man, who will never be forgotten. Thank you, Sir Bobby. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. On this episode, we're going to pay tribute to the great man and share our memories of him as well and our heartfelt sympathies. Go out to his wife, Lady Norma, his family and all those who loved him. Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell are with us. Andy, what would you like to say at this point? Very sad news. Very sad. Huge story in the UK, around the world, reflecting the status of the man. One of the greatest, maybe even the greatest English player ever. The man for whom Old Trafford's main stand is rightly named after. 758 appearances, as you said. Growing up, I never thought that would be broken. Nor his goal-scoring record for Manchester United. European Footballer of the Year in 1966. Ahead of Eusebio, ahead of Franz Beckenbauer. But second and third in 67 and 68 as well. So consistent and the fact that he lost some of his closest friends on the airfield in Munich and survived physically, if not mentally, because he wore their mental scars until the day he died. He thought about them boys every single day. He said that several times. To then be such an integral part of Manchester United's recovery and rise, he's one of the best players in the 63 Cup final against Leicester, uh, which was United's first trophy after Munich a star of the 65 and 67 title-winning teams. And then the main man against Benfica at Wembley in 1968 as United became the first English club to lift the European Cup. A huge, huge figure in football and a very sad day. But he led a great life, a fascinating life, 86 years old, a very full life. And it's been emotional but pretty wonderful to see the tributes coming in from far and wide. I saw a minute silence at FC Barcelona yesterday. Had an Argentinian friend get in touch with me, talking about how we remembered him in 1968 against the Estudiantes. The depth of the feeling and the stories about Sir Bobby Charlton are reflected in his status. Yeah, for a whole generation of, of football fans travelling around, Bobby Charlton was the reference point for many people. He was the most famous English player. He made Manchester United famous as well for one reason or another around the world. I mean, when you look at some of the 
people and the players who have paid their tributes to him, Laurie. Wayne Rooney actually said it as well as anyone. He said, he is Manchester United. When you think of Manchester United, the first three people that spring to mind are Sir Matt Busby, Sir Alex Ferguson and Sir Bobby Charlton. Simple as that. Yeah, and I was reminded actually of the occasion when Wayne Rooney broke his goal-scoring record for Manchester United on a cold night in Stoke. I was there uh, working and Sir Bobby Charlton was there in the stands as well. So that you know, level of affection and dedication to United sustained, you know, right into his 80s where he was there to watch his team play and the potential for Wayne Rooney to break his record. I think he felt he needed to acknowledge that, you know, and, and pass the baton on. And uh, he went into the dressing room afterwards and gave him a, a presentation as well. So he, he was he, he went in and around the dressing room frequently, you know, in that period. You know, it wasn't like he was you know, distant from the club at all. He he was he, he lived and breathed it. And I think that's only a sort of sign of, of how much affection he had for the club, given what he'd been through. I think Michael Walker's obituary in The uh, Athletic today, if you read it, I, I'd be surprised if you're able to get through it without having a tear in the eye. I, I welled up reading it just because of the depth of uh, emotion and history that is associated with Sir Bobby Charlton. I mean, obviously he talks about you know, the Munich air disaster in, in the obituary and, and there's a line in it from uh, Swabby Charlton's autobiography which reads, sometimes it engulfs me with terrible regret and sadness and guilt that I walked away and found so much. And I think as Andy's touched on, that must stay with you for such a long time, you know, for your whole life. And that's perhaps for me the sadness I never saw Bobby Charlton play I've seen the YouTube highlights I mean some of his goals I mean how he hits it that hard when it's like this you know sodden leather ball <laughs> on this sort of quagmire of a pitch like incredible uh, talent on, off both feet left and right I never watched him play but he has that link to United's origins really to you know th- that history and that, the standards that he needed to aspire towards to make United a great club, obviously with the support of Samat Busby and other players, um, you're great players. But I think he more than anybody personified that that struggle and that that never say die attitude. And I mean, my dad texted me after the news emerged yesterday, and he just said he was the reason why I supported United. You know, hero of many boys my age for for England '66. I love seeing the blockbuster goals he scored from 25 yards, um, and I fell in love as an eight-year-old. Uh, for the 68 final and so I, I sort of owe my United allegiance to Sir Bobby Charlton really because it's my dad and you know then this job you know is owed to that as well so it kind of all that sort of linkage and, and, and history is kind of associated with him for me. Never met him I, I was once getting a bit of a, a rollicking from uh, a Premier League manager <laughs> Uh, at a game and uh, after a game rather than in a stairwell of the stadium and, and Sir Bobby Charlton walked past and he kind of broke off from giving me the, the finger jabbing and went hello Sir Bobby um, he had to kind of <laughs> pay his respects in that way couldn't do it in his uh, in his presence no, there looking no. at him he needed to behave better than that well, yeah. exactly that I mean, it was Paul Lambert uh, to, to be honest uh, Aston Villa versus United and, and it was a 1-1 draw and it was 24-2 again so he's going to these matches you know well into his later years and I just think that just shows the joy that he must have for the club and and for the sport. Andy, you must have met him loads down the years. Your past must have crossed many times. I don't think he'd remember it, but I interviewed him plenty of times. <laughs> well, first of all, as as a supporter on a plane to Lisbon for Eusebio's 50th birthday in, in 1992, it was Eric Cantona's first game. Me and my mates just booked a, a flight. This was in the days before Budget Airlines, Manchester to Lisbon. And we saw Bobby Charlton was in the business class at the front. 
and the net went across and we thought, okay, that's the last we'll see of Bobby Charlton today. But once we'd reached a cruising altitude, the net went back over and so Bobby Charlton appeared and walked down the whole of the plane speaking to all the United fans, which was a bit of a surprise because he was a very reserved private man. He, he knew who he could trust. Very different personality to, to George Best might be an opposite of his. Even with the, within the team, um, he would act completely differently to some players in comparison with other players. And maybe Munich changed his personality. I'm, I'm sure it did. And yet his best friend for a long time was Morris Setters, who was a real party-going, very popular with the ladies, Bobby's best man. He became a United director, a statesman in the club. I spoke yesterday to a director of Schalke for the German giants, and he said, we visited in 2011 for the Champions League semi-final, and his strongest memory was Bobby Charlton. And he wasn't just ringing me to tell me that after he died, he told me that the first time he ever met me. So there is this cliche of... You know, people being found in the rainforest in, in deepest South America or Africa and the only <laughs> English words it can say are Bobby Charlton. But it is rooted in the truth because he was so good and he did it for his country as well. A wonderful, wonderful footballer. But there's, there's stuff which I've been, re I've been soaking it all in today and I've spoke to so many people over the years about him that there's a few little nuggets of information that I don't think people know in the mainstream. He loved a swig of whiskey before every Manchester United game. He said it helped him with his breathing. Really? Is this playing or watching? Playing. Right. And and Laurie used the word breathing before, right? One thing Bobby Charlton said was, to him, playing football well was as natural as breathing. I mean, imagine having that talent that it was just so easy, <laughs> that you're so consistent and so good. And of course it helped that he had a, a wonderful manager and world-class players all around him. I spoke to Brian Kidd yesterday. He was crying down the phone. He just said, I, I, I idolised him. I looked up to him, but he was very demanding of him. He, didn't, he wasn't vocal. He, he led by example. You just watch him and think, well, A, I'm not going to emulate that because I'm never going to get to that level, but at least I'm going to try to get to the level that I can play in the same team as him. Kidd said he used to glide across the grass. He was a beautiful player, balletic even. It's lovely hearing all of these these stories and, and, and anecdotes about his wonderful life. I love the idea that a new generation of fans will be introduced now to Bobby Charlton as well. Obviously, news of his passing is extremely sad, but I think the legacy is important and that kids now or Manchester United fans, newer fans, whatever age they are, will now learn about him and what he stood for. We, we know about Munich, obviously. We, we've heard the stories down the years, we've heard Sir Bobby himself talk about it, about the recovery of Manchester United from that point as well. In fact, I was reading a tweet yesterday uh, that said that he actually made his England debut just two months on from that crash. I mean, what he went through is just unimaginable. And then his role in leading Manchester United forward, obviously there was the, the manager, the statesman that was Sir Matt Busby and... He had to recover in hospital and his assistant, Jimmy Murphy, led the team. But Sir Bobby played his part and United fans should know all about that, know about what he did, what he stood for and, and not just know about the statue that's outside. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you say, I think this will bring it to a wider audience again. You know, I, I've been myself delving into different aspects of his life just because of this, you know, which I know it shouldn't really take their passing to do that, but sometimes there needs to be 
a kind of a trigger for it. And um, I mean, you know, United have, have opened a book of condolence at Old Trafford. It's been signed by more than a thousand fans already, which I think is a testament to the depth and spread of feeling uh, in the local area. And I wouldn't be surprised if people come, you know, from further afield, you know, the the, the book will be open, I think, until Friday. Obviously, there's a game on Tuesday night. It, it, you can't sign it then, but, you know, that might be another uh, reason for people to to uh, at least stay over and, and pay their respects. Uh, yeah, some of the, the bits that I've kind of been remembering, you know, you're talking about the next generation as well. And this is why it's sort of so crucial to have figures like this at United. And I know he's kind of peerless in that regard, but uh, Rio Ferdinand in 2008 for the Champions League final, before we went up, he was you know a bit of a, a mess, he says. And it was Sir Bobby Charlton that took him aside and said, you know, realise that there's only been, you know, a couple of people that have lifted this trophy as captains of Manchester United this is what it means and kind of just took that moment to make make him realize the the kind of significance of it all and and from his somebody with his experience and he touched on the fact that it, it basically you know boys had lost their lives in pursuit of this trophy you know munich was because united Sabat Busby wanted to be intrepid, wanted to challenge themselves and thought that football as a global sport, you know, deserved a European competition where the best faced the best. And obviously that ended in, in tragedy in 1958, but it was from that point that then United were were then in pursuit of it until 1968. And I think Sir Bobby Charlton in that, in that game obviously felt that that was kind of the end of, of that journey, that cycle, and, and, and that it had been... A worthwhile enterprise and he kind of wanted to remind Rio Ferdinand in that moment in Moscow 50 years on from uh, Munich of the significance of it and also there's that moment wasn't there where you know they're giving out the medals I think it's Michelle Platini and uh, Peter Kenyon's gone up for Chelsea you know which is fine he's an executive but nobody with that depth of of football heritage and and he takes the medal around his neck and Bobby Charlton doesn't you know he kind of says no this is for the the current crop so obviously he's there but he's not wanting to take the limelight uh and 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 also I kind of came across another clip of him speaking after 99 um when he's (laughs) he's just remembering being there in the stadium in the new camp and obviously that was Samat Busby's birthday and um, you know, describing the goals, and he just said it was paradise. Football won't get better than this, and you just that 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 you can't get away from that being at the core of anybody who loves you know sport and football. Really, that there's these joyous moments, and and he clearly personified that until the very end. And then I sat back, and I, I tried to keep myself cool, and and but while I was actually thinking, keep cool, keep cool, we went and we, we got a corner. David Beckham knocks the ball across. Teddy Sheringham helps it on. And, and Gunnar Solskjaer knocks the ball into the net and as, as the ball hits the net for me it was as though the world stood still I thought this is, par- this is what paradise is all about it's got to be and, and I honestly do not remember what I did for about five minutes I went up to my wife and my, my daughter and my son-in-law were up there I, I, I dashed up to them, I dashed back and, and, uh, and suddenly the world was great again, and, and I thought, well, this, there is nothing ever going to be better than this. Someone who knew him once said to me that he was only comfortable with certain people, Bobby Charlton, and when you saw him with his mates, people like Morris Setter, Shea Brennan, Nobby Styles, he was a completely different person, funny, happy-go-lucky, and he was a bit of a practical joker on the sly. What he'd do, he'd go to the cinema with his wife, And even if the film was terrible, he'd go into training the next day and lie and said, 
one of the greatest films I've ever seen. So you had all these world-class footballers then going to the cinema in Manchester, wasting two or three hours, and then coming in the next day to say that they'd been told off by the wives for taking them to see a terrible film. Now, the way they got Bobby Charlton back was depriving him of a cream cake. He loved cream cakes. Now, none of the other players did, because after all, they were professional athletes. So how on earth did he become one of the best players, maybe even the greatest ever English player, having a nip of whiskey before a game and having a, a, a strong penchant for, for cream cakes. I guess that's the secret behind the the solid shot that, that Laurie was talking about. I mean, I remember going to the Bobby Charlton soccer school when I was a kid and one of the tests that they did at the end of the week to rank everyone was how hard your shot was. It was the first time and only time I think I've ever hit a shot that's been recorded as to how quick it was. It was such a it's such a key component of his game, wasn't it? So I, perhaps I just needed a, a swig of whiskey and a cream cake at the age of seven or eight when I was going there. How hard was your shot? I don't remember. Not as hard as Bobby. I think every single time someone shot, I think the feedback was, like, yeah, not as hard as Bobby, not as hard as Bobby. Then Bobby Charlton soccer schools, which were actually other sports as well, were re- a real big deal in my childhood in Manchester. Same, same, yeah. And even even though you had to pay to go on him, you did think it was like a stepping stone to basically being the captain of Manchester United. <laughs> I think the only person who came close to that was David yeah. Beckham because yeah, he yeah. was one of them. But we'd go along to Fallowfield and... By the way, it's not just our childhood. When I went, there was people from all around the world on those schools. You know, like you were saying before, his name went everywhere. But I think the influence post-game with the soccer schools, the foundation perhaps more importantly as well, you know, it wasn't just us, it was it was international football well, dreamers, shall we call them like us. And he didn't just put his name to it, he did actually turn up <laughs> yeah. and say, yeah. you know, Andy, I've just seen you beat seven or eight men there and it was a fantastic <laughs> run, but you've got to be putting in the top corner, is what he never said to me. <laughs> I'm just thinking, should we do a tribute then uh, on Tuesday night before the Copenhagen game? Swig of whiskey and a cream cake each. Yeah, I like it. It could become a new tradition, that. We should do that before every pod recording. <laughs> Might make him better. Well, something needs to, certainly. Um, I mean, on Bobby Charlton then, we, we've talked a lot, Andy, about his role on the pitch for Manchester United and his influence on people. But in his role as a director, I mean, he was a director for nearly 40 years of the club. How will he be remembered in that sense? He did a difficult job. And when most Manchester United fans were calling for Sir Alex Ferguson to be sacked, Sir Bobby Charlton stuck by Sir Alex Ferguson and that wasn't a popular thing to do at the time because he could see the work that he was doing behind the scenes. He was also very supportive of the Glazers, which is his opinion, but it's not an opinion which would tally with what most Manchester United fans would think, in my experience. I think the fact that the main stand was named after him was a, a fitting honour. I know that meant a huge amount to him. And if we're going to move it forward... I think that main stand should be improved and keep his name. You know, it's the one part of Old Trafford which does need doing and it could be a good time to to do it. I think it would be remembered quite rightly as one of the greatest, if not the greatest ever, Manchester United footballer. Yes, absolutely. I need to say at this point as well, the club have published an article on their website with instructions of how you can pay your respects to Sir Bobby. We'll add a link to that in our show notes. And also, Bobby and his brother, Jack Charlton, lived with dementia later on in their lives before they passed away. And Bobby's wife, Lady Norma, hoped that his diagnosis could raise awareness of the disease to help fund research 
into treatment and hopefully find a cure as well. If you want to help with that, you may wish to consider a donation to the Alzheimer's Society or to Alzheimer's Disease International. And we'll also add those links to our show notes as well. Well, the crowd have really decided that victory is theirs, haven't they? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. OK, well, of course, there was a lovely tribute from Manchester United to Sir Bobby Charlton ahead of the victory at Sheffield United. Perhaps that was the best tribute they could pay them. Scott McTominay obviously scored again. He dedicated his goal to Sir Bobby. Um, they made hard work of it, Laurie, didn't they, in a way? But the win is a win again. Yeah, and I suppose we were talking about, you know, 20, 25-yard screamers and Diego Dalot, you know, curled one in from that kind of range. I think Charlton maybe used to hit it a bit harder, but it was well placed. Maybe, you know, Fodderingham could have got more of a hand to it. He sort of, you know, got there. But I think it was a really uh, nice strike from Dallow. And I suppose at least that's one aspect that will please Eric Tenag. And he said this sort of afterwards. He wasn't, he didn't spare them from the, the first half display, which Sheffield United were the, were the better team for the majority of it. Um, but at least in the second half, you saw more of that control possession in the final third where there was passes being picked and a kind of, a sort of design to break down Sheffield United rather than kind of the chaos that had ensued in the first half. I thought Amrabat got on the ball more in the final third. Ericsson was important to that. You had Garnacho with that spark down the left and obviously it was it was Lindelof that was able to put the pass to Dallow. But he, he got that space because Sheffield United were focusing on other areas uh, of the pitch to try and you know stop United. So he, he was able to have a bit of time on the ball and pick his spot. So yeah, a victory yet again. Another grind though. Every single Hard win for United this again, season. In the Premier League has been hard, and you could argue, you know, Sheffield United. I mean, I think they they actually had better XG than United. Which okay, how much stock you put in that uh, for an individual game? I don't know, but uh, I was surprised at that because I actually thought there were in the second half certainly lots of chances. Even if United didn't actually have the shot in the end, there were lots of opportunities where they should have done better. Really, with it, they should have had a, a clear one on one. And I, I think I texted you, didn't I? We were exchanging messages during the game, and you were saying, "I don't see how United win this. I can see Sheffield United definitely cruising to an easy victory here." Um, yeah, exactly and I was I like, "No, no." 
No. <laughs> I said, United will win this. That, that was sort of early in the second half. Yeah, not the biggest of gambles to make. Um, no, your listeners, he didn't say that, by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> but uh, you could sort of sense... I mean, it, being there in, in the stadium, that atmosphere, it was certainly something for United to, you know, get to grips with. And, and they have, you know, they pushed uh, Man City pretty close there, but obviously their previous uh, game at home was uh, an 8-0 defeat to Newcastle United. And you, you could kind of see how a team would beat them by that scoreline because once once they'd had their, their sort of flourishes, their moments in, in the game, they sat back quite a lot and they were making quite a few mistakes and it really United should have won by more. Wasn't the best again, Andy, was it? Like like Laurie was saying in there, there was bits to pick out. We'll talk about Harry Maguire in a moment, who was great. Um, and he's having a bit of a renaissance as well, which which we'll go into. But yeah, just, just hard work to watch really, wasn't it? There still doesn't seem to be much joy in this team really, does there, all round? I was worried for large parts of the game. The bottom line is Manchester United got three points, three big points, but there was very little evidence to show that United are coming out of a bad period with any sort of conviction where you think that the team can go and beat a top side. And that first half was pretty alarming. To go there and win, I expected it. Manchester United are very good at teams lower down. And there's no lower down than a Sheffield United team who haven't won a game. I know Bramall Lane's atmospheric. I know there's that beautiful song about a night out in Sheffield and it and it was a night out. And I love that greasy chip butty song and I respect them greatly as a club. But if Manchester United wouldn't have won there, that would have been a major, major problem because United have lost too many games so far this season. And you say about Harry... What about the lad next to him, Johnny? Yeah. Because he started three games this season and Manchester United have won all three. So if you think there's... Well, Harry Maguire's made eight Premier League starts in the last 12 months and Manchester United have won all eight as well. The pair of them need to play every week, I think. So let's just... If Johnny carries on playing, well, how many games left? 31. So if you win all 31 and he doesn't get injured... Is he not already injured? <laughs> I was going to say he had a bit of a knock came off the knee for Varane yeah but he's got superpowers he'll just rise like a fish in the Manchester derby at the weekend head the ball in I'm, I'm, do, you know, I've got... do you know what that reminds me of it reminds, that reminds me of this weirdly just got a flick of this Porto in 96-97 when David May was described as rising like a salmon to score that goal he did like <laughs> Billy the Fish I, I, I say it half in jest I mean I think Johnny coming back has been fantastic he's been there to be called upon because of all the injuries and, and he's done done really well. Um, I am worried though ahead of the, the Manchester derby uh, next weekend and if Manchester United could avoid defeat in that, that would be a big improvement on a lot of what we've we've seen so far. I'm torn between thinking, is what we've seen this season this season or is it just an injury-induced slump at the start of the season? Was the home form last season where Manchester United are out under Ten Hag or was it a misnomer and what we're seeing with you know even Wolves dominating more where Manchester United are at. I'm sounding hesitant and doubtful because I am. I think the team scores too few goals, too few goals away from home. If you look at where the goals are coming from, they're not really coming from the front players. Not at, I'm all. En- not at all. I'm enjoying watching Rasmus Hoyland, but sooner rather than later he's going to be judged on how many goals he's scoring in the league and we're seeing the assist you mentioned Lindelof before Laurie it's Maguire it's McTominay it's Johnny Evans 
the players in the attacking part of Manchester United's team really need to be contributing. Well, I've got some a, a stats on it, yeah. In terms of the strikers for United this season, one goal from Marcus Rashford at Arsenal, two assists from Marcus Rashford, maybe even one actual assist, I think, in the Premier League, which was against uh, Nottingham Forest. He won a penalty, of course, as well. In terms of defenders, though, Laurie, two goals and five assists from from people who've played in the back line this season, which is which is ridiculous, really. But, I mean, I, we could praise that until tomorrow, but we, we need to look at why the forwards aren't scoring. Rasmus Hoyland has missed six big chances so far in his Premier League career. It doesn't feel like he's struggling uh, at all, actually. Quite the opposite. But Andy's right, sooner or later, there is going to be a little bit of scrutiny on that goal tally uh, in the league. Although if he keeps doing stuff like he's been doing in the Champions League, perhaps that will save him. Well, that's it. I think because it was so um, thrilling against Galatasaray, that, that, yeah. that's enough for people to go, okay, this guy does have He's 20. serious quality. He's 20. Really, United should not be playing a 20-year-old who hasn't played in the Premier League before uh, this much to begin with. Um, I mean... You know, he did take him off, and Tanakh's talking about you know integrating him and rotating him as, as the games go on. But really, you'd, you'd want to sign a twenty-year-old with his experience and be able to bed them in, rotate properly. Um, but when he brings on Anthony Marshall, okay, yeah, there's some nice sort of little interplay, I suppose, from him. But you're not really he's not coming on with any expectation that he's going to change the game and score a goal. Whereas if you had an established centre forward alongside Hoyland, you could you could more easily you know take him out of the firing line if if he felt like he needed to. But I agree with you that. Actually Actually, the, the time that he's played, he's looked sharp, he's looked good. Um, he just hasn't, in the Premier League yet, got that finishing touch, although I suppose he did against Brighton when the ball didn't go yeah. out. Um, but <laughs> but against, Sheffield, <laughs> against Sheffield United, I think he actually should have been sharper to the uh, Marcus Rashford ball across the centre because you could see that developing from the position up in the press box at Bramall Lane where Anthony actually did pretty well, I thought, to kind of cut inside and, and, and whip the crossover. And you could see that that's what Rashford was going to do. So he just didn't quite get there. Um, also, you know, Nice feet for the Rashford deflected uh, shot where he, he brings, I think it's a really good save yeah, from the goalkeeper. I'm not sure what more Hoyland could have done. Um, and then obviously there's that slightly odd situation in the second half where Rashford, he just just shoot, you know, when when Fodderingham, I think again, has, has made a mistake and he, he gives it to Hoyland and it's like behind him and then Rashford's sort of asking for the ball in return, but Hoyland's had the shot by this point. But So that was a slightly odd, I, I wouldn't really put that one on him saying, you know, he should have converted that chance. But that might well be, I don't know if that counts as a big chance. I need to sort of check with Opta which, which six chances it is that he's missed. But I mean, I saw that list because you sent again, you were brilliant with the data this uh, weekend, Ian. You're like, you were sending me this stuff during the game weren't you about United's defenders and attackers I was like perfect perfect for my piece thank you uh, saving me some work but 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 um, Erling Haaland's top of that list isn't he with nine big chances yeah. missed. so you sort of think well you know at least he's getting in these situations and it, it should come it doesn't feel um, like Hoyland's missed sitters either you know I know that that's that is big chances but a big chance you know doesn't have to be a, an open goal as such um, no I'm struggling to think of like really glaring misses that, that he's made he's not had any about Vegas moments has he it doesn't feel like it does it uh, let Let's talk about someone else because I don't want to put too much uh, scrutiny on the young man who needs to lead our hopes into the Champions League <laughs> crucial game against Copenhagen, his old team, which we'll talk mm. about in a minute, and mm. also the Manchester derby at the weekend. Let's talk about Harry Maguire. Laurie, you've done a piece on him, which is on The Athletic now that people can go and read, but Andy, more like it from Maguire. Uh, is this him finally emerging from all the sort of crap um, that he's had to go through over the last sort of 12 months or so? Yes and no. I said a few times on this pod that he needs to have 
very good games against very good teams. And I don't think you can say Sheffield United are one of them. Going back to his hometown, playing against his, his former club, basically doing nothing wrong, getting the man of the match awarded to him is absolutely a good thing for him. Uh, but someone of his calibre, price, etc., will be judged how he does in the, the, the biggest, biggest games. And when he went on international duty, as has often happens, there was noise about his future. I think he just wants to be playing more regularly. And the injuries to other players will be a big factor in that. But he's had decent games and I think he deserves the credit which he's been getting. If he has a decent game against Manchester City, ask me again that question because that will take it up a notch. That's that's what he really needs before a lot of the people who've been on to Maguire go, you know what, I've got to hold my hands up here. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit more, isn't it? Laurie, you've written in your piece that you think he's going to start the derby. I mean, I just don't see... I mean, obviously, there's the Copenhagen game in the middle of that, so I guess that could change things a little bit. But Martinez isn't coming back. Johnny Evans went off with a bit of an injury, and you'd sort of think even in that space, I know he's got a 100% record, Andy, and he should start every game that he is fit, just to preserve that. But um, if Maguire's fit, you'd think that he still starts, and I suppose him and Varane maybe. It would be really interesting if you've got Evans, Varane and Maguire all fit, if... Tenag really thinks that Evans is a better left-sided centre-half than Harry Maguire. Is Lindelof not going to come back into consideration if Regulon's fit as well? True, yeah. Sorry, I suppose there is that as well. But, I mean, is, is Regulon... I suppose you'd have to think Regulon must must start if he's if he's fit but I suppose it's he's just an actual question left mark, back which might help I don't know yeah <laughs> yeah well and there was more I mean I thought I think Lindelof's done an all right job I mean in against Sheffield United he was dropping into midfield so like if you have it as that inverted um fullback then it's kind of not as essential that he is a natural left left back um uh but you there was a couple of moments where you could tell a left footer would have been better in in certain situations you kind of had to cut back and it the momentum went so yeah regular on, on those overlapping runs like we saw against Bayern Munich would be an improvement you'd think yeah um but no I just, I just think that Maguire I don't know I I just think that maybe this is at a point where Tenard goes okay let, let's see if you've got it Harry you know um because he's obviously challenged him to step up at different points Clearly, he could have gone in the summer, you know, if, if they'd agreed terms with West Ham, you know, United would have sold him, Tenag would have sold him. But this was, I asked him after the game about Maguire and, and it was, it was, it was genuine, you know, I know you get managers that will say nice things about players, but he's kind of been saying those things, Tenag, previously about, okay, well, if, you know, you know, he needs to challenge himself and he needs to do these things. After the game against Sheffield United, he actually said, no, I was really pleased with how proactive he was. And I sensed that. And maybe it was because he was at Bramall Lane, you know, a familiar setting. He got applauded by the Sheffield United fans at the start of the game. I remember being there in the FA Youth Cup final in 2011 when he was playing for Sheffield United against, you know, United and Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard. So this is a, a place that he obviously feels comfortable in. And I think he was, you know, he seemed to have the metal you know, between his teeth and, and he was stepping forward, you know, making these tackles. Um, the, the passing, I thought, was really good you know um 76 passes completed by far the most by a united player and i know that that can be sometimes like a five yard pass sideways so i'm not so oh, hang on Thir- 13 successful long passes which yep. was the most in the premier league on saturday so they weren't all five yard balls to the side of him and there was one you know for example there's one to my mind into anthony uh anthony dropped and he kind of fired it through the lines and that just got united into you know their territory, there was another really nice ball out to Rashford that actually bounced off the surface and went over Rashford's head. And but that that would have been a nice pass if it had actually it was maybe Rashford needed to come forward a little bit. I don't know, but 
I just thought that he, he seemed confident and that's obviously been the big issue with Maguire throughout all of this, which is obviously difficult to get when you're getting, you know, sort of ironic jeers from home fans on pre-season tours and, and, and applauded onto the pitch by, you know, Arsenal fans and, and Crystal Palace fans who sung his name and, you know, so he's, he's had a, a lot of it and, I mean, I think some of it, he, you know, he kind of opens himself up a little bit, you know, Andy, you touched on it where international break he gives an interview and he sort of talks about his ridiculously high um record for united under ten Hag, and I, I kind of people can scoff at that because it's you know the list of clubs that he's talking about you expect united to be you know so that those uh eight consecutive wins when he started you know all those games you'd hope i think aston villa at home is the only one where you're like okay that's a good but it's no big six it's no no away game in, in a you know a really pivotal game and the, the match that started that all off was the brentford 4-0 uh, that was the last match he started that united didn't win which is obviously the match that made ten Hag think i need to change this um but i still think in that regard in terms of maguire saying that himself you know, he has to back himself. If 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 he's getting you know sort of battered from all sides, fair, fair enough for him to come out and say, actually, if you if you look at this, and I'm not I'm not as bad as people are making out. And I think that was just a performance. It's not he's not turned the corner because as Andy says, you've got to wait until it's in a big game. But I think that you know it just was a reminder that actually he's a pretty good footballer. Yeah, if you want to know how backed you are, Harry Maguire, go and read Laurie's piece on the Athletic. It's a it's a <laughs> lovely take on on the performance at Bramall Lane. I'm going to get straight into Copenhagen and just do a quick preview to that as well because it's a it's a huge game for United and isn't it considering uh, you know the performances and results in Europe so far it's a must win in that respect but it's going to be a very emotional night as well for Old Trafford paying its respects to Sir Bobby Charlton it's going to be a, a very poignant occasion. Absolutely it will and we spoke a lot about Sir Bobby and um, I remember when Sir Matt died uh, it was one of the most memorable, momentous games uh, or occasions at Old Trafford in in, in recent history, and I'm, I'm sure Tuesday will be similar. As for the game, not only is that a must-win, the away legs a must-win as well. Yeah. Manchester United really need six points from them next two games. Against possibly the biggest club in Scandinavia, certainly in Denmark with respect to, to Bromby, I know that Manchester United consider FC Copenhagen to be a proper side, their Champions League form is very good at home. It's patchy away. They've got excellent support, really loud, vociferous. I know a few of them, really well organised. And I think they might surprise a few people at Old Trafford. So Old Trafford's got to be up for it as well. Because if not, you're going to have a situation which was found in recent years when PSG came, when St Etienne came, where the home fans just get completely outsung. So the fans have got to do their bit. I was supposed to interview the left-back, uh, Bergen Melling, the Norwegian, uh, today. Unfortunately for him, he went off on Saturday after 35 minutes and it looks like he's going to miss uh, both of those games against Manchester United. So it's a shame for him, but um, Copenhagen carrying injuries is obviously something which now affects them as well as Manchester United. If you want two words from me on both of the games... It's must win. And I said exactly the same before Galatasaray. If you don't win this one, Manchester United are going out of the Champions League. And that will be an absolute shambles, three straight defeats. Yeah, it certainly would. I mean, it's only 
the second time FC Copenhagen will have ever visited Old Trafford, Laurie. I was speaking to some of the, the Danish reporters at Anfield because I worked the Merseyside derby um, at the weekend and they described this game as the biggest in a decade for FC Copenhagen. So that's the sort of energy that United are going to have to match. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I just hope that the Tickenden situation, I was just reminded of that when Andy was saying about United fans having to turn up. I was like, please don't let there be thousands of Copenhagen fans in the home section as there was against Galatasaray. The difference this time is those Copenhagen fans will probably have Manchester United as their second team, so they'll probably be happy either way. Half and half scarves doing a roaring trade. (laughs) Um, And and all credit to them. If it's the biggest game in 10 years, you want a memento, don't you? Um, But yeah, I mean, they've looked like, you know, decent in both their matches right like they, they took a 2-0 lead over in Istanbul and they went ahead against Bayern Munich so they've obviously got um, sort of a good uh, ability behind them um, whether that's enough to beat United I mean yeah United have, have struggled against basically all opposition this season haven't they so um, it could be another edgy occasion I'm interested to see if uh, Rasmus Hoyland's uh, brothers feature. He's have a point One of them might feature. Well, Rasmus Hoyland, isn't he? Surely after being rejected the way he was by Copenhagen and sold on. I mean, quite a tasty story that one, isn't it? Um, we've actually yeah. got a piece on that coming up. Uh, Mark Critchley, my colleague, has got some good detail on that. So keep your eyes peeled for that one because it is—it's a mad story, isn't it? Copenhagen let this kid go, who's been in their academy the whole time, basically. Uh, goes to Sturmgratz for like, what is it, a couple of million euros, something like that. Peanuts in modern terms, really. Peanuts. Yeah. And and within you know, three games, I, I was speaking to someone who watched him at Sturmgratz and he said, I, I was just watching this guy thinking, how have Copenhagen let him go? And no, it wasn't. It was basically, they sort of felt that he wasn't right for them. Certainly he felt he was, and I think they weren't shy about saying that. So there was a maybe a, a bit of a clash of personalities there. But then within, you know, 18 months, two years, he's 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 costing 85 million euro and he's playing for Manchester United. So it's a it's a wild story. Gonna be fascinating to see him in action, Andy, isn't it? Just to see how he is and dealing with this this sort of um emotion around the game. Yeah, it's wonderful that football throws up these stories as well, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to Especially it. Especially against his brother, potentially, as well, yeah. you know. Yeah, more so because it is now a big game. When the, the group was drawn, it looked like a, a win for Manchester United, and it still might be, but the first two results mean it, it's huge. I interviewed one of Copenhagen's main fans, and I was expecting him to say, can't wait to visit Manchester, Manchester United, one of the greatest clubs in the world, etc., etc. And he actually said... I think Manchester's an awful city. I wish we were going somewhere else. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, mate. Here you are. And, you know, Manchester United aren't quite what they were. We wanted a bigger club. I'm like, hold your horses. Come on. But I think maybe speaking for himself, we did play against Copenhagen in Colombia in closed doors a couple of years ago. Yeah. And we've also played another Champions League game there as well where United have never won over there. Um but that game in Copenhagen, so much has changed since then. Stolly Solbakken, their long-time manager, he's the, he's the man who was there, there Samat Busby, there Alex Ferguson. He's now managing the Norwegian national team. But they still have remained the preeminent force in Danish football. It isn't one of the strongest leagues in Europe, but it is a country which produces top footballers and is a very successful football club. The fans will be the one thing I'd watch out for. They're surprisingly good. 
Okay, well, we've got that to look forward to as well. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We're going to leave it there for Talk of the Devils today. But thank you very much for listening. Laurie, thank you as well. Andy, thank you to you too. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, remember you can always do that. Just email devilspod at theathletic.com. But yeah, we look ahead to Tuesday and what's going to be a very emotional night at Old Trafford. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.